So we just talked about just now we have, um, we have a jingle now, so I hope you heard that. Um, but we're still going to do the da da do. Give us an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would we'd appreciate it. Um, hello, welcome to the check and chat. We are your hosts, Mo and Liz. Oh my welcome God. Welcome to season three. Yeah. Season I cannot not believe. One, not two, but three. But three. I can't believe it. It's freaking crazy. You know, how are you? We haven't like, we've recorded. I mean, like I, I act like we how haven't are you? a lot. We haven't. We haven't talked at all since no. last season, so <laughs> no. it's a really happy reunion for us. It's very yeah, exciting. not like every day. Um, how many months has it been? It's been a few months. <laughs> yeah, like it ended, it, we took two months off, so we're back and we're yeah. ready to rumble. And, We've already uh, been rumbling. Let's like fucking, I mean, I'm jumping the gun, but I cannot wait to tell everybody what we've been up to. I think we should go, like, let's let's start. So. Um, I mean, today on the pod, we have my good friend, Megan Kovacs, um, who is on the board for Bitch Media and just a general activist, amazing person. You will hear more from her later. Um, we have, I mean, we have like amazing, amazing interviews. Liz, tell, talk, do you want to talk about your, your series that you're working on right now? Oh my God. Okay. So you guys remember Diana clock from season two. She was working on the undocumented lives project with Melissa Pandika. Um, and we teamed up because we're both in the Bay area. So of course we have lots of tech, um, in our lives and our businesses and our faces <laughs> in many ways. And so we have been working and there's been a lot of media attention around this as of late. Um, so we decided to work on a series together, um, talking to women um, all over the country and the world, actually, um, many in the Bay Area, but many not as well, who are in the tech world and have experienced, you know, gender disparity, sexual harassment, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also, you know, not just women in general, but women of color and kind of all of the layers of discrimination that you can peel back with that. And it's been really cool because we've been able to talk to like a lot of different people, like, um, with different experience, like several different founders, um, former and current startup engineers and designers, um, venture capitalist experience, and also in just different sectors too, you know, like between public health and academia. I mean, like there's just like a whole slew of like really freaking smart women who have talked to us and been willing to talk to us about this. So I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm really, really excited to share it. We've just been blown away at the amount of women willing to speak out um, and just talk to us and have a conversation with us about this. So I can't wait. That's I'm coming. So excited. And that's going to be like, we think that's going to be towards the end of this season because um, it takes a lot of editing folks it takes a lot of behind the scenes work on Liz's part to put all that stuff together and um, next week um, we have Tori Slatten and Michelle Stillwell on they are from Stillwell and Slatten immigration firm in um, out of Washington DC and they talk to us about all kinds of amazing things that are going on um, they talk to us about what's really going on with DACA and the travel ban 
um, how and how we can help and get involved. It's just really incredible. So I'm really, really excited to have them on. How did, how do we like, I forget, like, was it a Huffington Post article that they were featured in? I that think like, so. it we was first saw and we were like, oh my God, these women are badass. And they also yeah. like, have their own podcast. And we're like, we're all soulmates. <laughs> yeah, it had to be HuffPo or um, like BuzzFeed or something. It was something that we found them. And I was like, well, I'm just going to write them an email. And they like, responded which i was like what and it was awesome what? and then yeah. buzzfeed and huffington post right now just like got real pissed at us for comparing them so oh yeah sorry, sorry. <laughs> it was yeah i would imagine it was probably huffpo because i feel like it was an actual article but uh yeah and that so that was awesome we're gonna do a book report on uh hillary oh, Clinton's new book um, yeah, what happened? So, if you haven't already. Yeah. So read what it. Happened. <laughs> Follow along. That's going to be the third episode of this season. Um, and I, I just actually like confirmed this interview today. Um, we get to interview um, Jen Brockman. She is the director of sexual assault prevention and education center at the University of Kansas. And she, in conjunction with um, some other, some other folks had created this insane um, art installation called what are you wearing or what were you wearing sorry and um, it's about what women were wearing when they were sexually assaulted to kind of show to dispel the the idea that women were always wearing short skirts or like in some way asking for it it's super powerful crazy wow. I cannot wait to talk to her about that oh my god that's and, seriously amazing and then you guys we fucking interviewed Rebecca Traster oh <laughs> it was like wow, 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 and she now knows. Well, she doesn't. We actually kept it really together, you guys. And we're gonna share kind of. I feel like we were like, yeah. And she was like, "All right, ladies, let me just like be really be amazing." You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was an incredible interview, and we cannot wait to share that with you too. So we have a lot of really incredible things happening this season. We are so excited to, you know, get everybody involved. Um, and, and yeah. And with that, like, let's fucking talk about this stupid NFL thing. <gasps> All right. I have to say, like, I'm hesitant to even give, I'm hesitant to talk about it because I'm just like getting so fucking pissed that it's even an argument. Like yeah. it's making me so infuriated to see, first of all, like that it's even an argument. And second of all, the fact that people are taking so much goddamn effort and time on social media, et cetera, to talk about it and discuss it when there are way, way worse things happening, like in the world right now that should be getting way more media attention and social media attention. It's just like, I can't really handle it. However, we are going to talk about it anyway, because I keep finding myself in these discussions and or arguments about it. Um, which I am displeased <laughs> to find myself yeah. in because I don't even watch football to be perfectly honest. And Me like either. I said, no question involved, but I'll just share two quick stories. Like one, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, whoop, 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 whoop. Um, which was really great. But I was in, if any of you listeners out there are from Albuquerque, live in Albuquerque, or have watched Breaking Bad, or have any connection to New Mexico at all, um, it's not like untypical to get in some sort of argument or fight or whatever, like at a bar or in a drinking situation, Yeah, like all over New Mexico. So like, I'll just set that tone. So I was at a bar 
and it has like an outdoor beach volleyball court and a stage and where live bands go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. We're not going to say what it is, but mm-hmm. they did change, they did change names and owners. Yeah. I was just going to say their name happened. was, re- yeah, has recently been changed. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to everyone who knows what we're talking about. But yeah. anyway, for those of you who don't just like picture somewhere where like you would have been really feeling good about going here at age 18, maybe age 30 feel a little <laughs> bit like, all right, like I'm feeling sexy, but also like, why are all the dudes here on steroids? And like, why are the pool tables so small? And what's happening here? Why so, are like, their <laughs> necks so thick? Why are their necks so thick? Um, but I was visiting with some old friends and unfortunately one of um, this person's old friend uh, had, had his cousin there and he was just like one of those thick necked dudes himself. And like, you know, just like, I hate to stereotype, but like the guy, a, a guy you'd imagine like sort of on the Jersey shore, you know, right. like kind of done up, like pretty guy, but like lots of muscles, like super extrovert, like does not mind sharing his opinion, no matter what that means um, <laughs> at any point in time. And also just like assumes everyone wants to sleep with him. So just to set that, I mean, at one point in the night, he literally says to me, I only date white girls. He just turns to me to directly tell me that. He's like, I only sleep with white girls. I'm like, cool. That's <laughs> like, that's cool, but like, not this one. Yeah, and he's also like, I also fucking love going down on girls. I'm like, great, oh, that's great. You should tell your other, you should tell your other guy friends that. But so anyway, so no surprise there that eventually he and I start fighting about the NFL thing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually after I get like sexually harassed, I pick a fight that's political. Um, and he like. It was just like one of those frustrating things because first of all, it was just like one of those like baseless, like, you know, logical fallacy filled arguments. Like he wasn't really making any sense, but he essentially was telling me like, first of all, that he was like really insulted. This is, it's one of the typical arguments that everybody's saying, like that by kneeling, you're disrespecting every veteran out there. And he happens to have veterans in his family. And so like, it's like, he's taking it like really personally, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's getting himself real worked up talking about it. You know, he's like, it's so disrespectful because of this and this and this and this and this. And I'm just like, okay, I mean, I can see from your perspective how it might feel that way. But if they feel like they're standing up for something they believe in, isn't that the same thing that like you're doing right now? And is not like sort of relatable. And he's just like kind of yelling over me, yelling over me, yelling over me. And we're going back and forth. And I was, I just have to say, like, I'm really proud of myself, especially given the environment I'm in. Like, I'm like in the mood for a bar fight at this point. Like, I've already like slicked back my hair. I'm like wearing my muscle tee. Like, I'm not even kidding you. I'm wearing a muscle tee. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm ready for this. But like, I was proud of myself because I actually like just took deep breaths and like listened to him. I didn't like validate everything that he said, but I like repeated back some of the things he was saying to me and then would sort of like offer some things for maybe him to consider. And like, actually by the end of it, it was kind of interesting because he pulls out a picture of Pat Tillman, who's like, I don't know, some old football star who like quit the NFL to go off to war. I think the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Is, is that not right? Or World War II? Or like, I'm probably insulting fucking people no out idea. there who I'm actually just... know this fact. Someone's like yelling um, at the... Someone's like, you fucking idiot. I yeah. told you I didn't watch football. Okay. Um, so he, t- he pulls this out and it's like, you know, a picture of this guy, like this old pr- former football star. And he's like, he's the one who had it right. Like, he left the NFL to like stand up for our country and that's why this is a disrespect and whatever and I'm like 
right. He literally said, fuck you to the NFL to go stand up for what he believed in, which is literally exactly what they are doing by kneeling. Like you may not agree with the approach, but it's exactly the same thing. And yeah. he's like, he literally is like, huh. <laughs> just like has nothing else to say. And we just like changed the subject. So I like sort of convinced him, like we found some common ground. I had, I like found some common ground with somebody about it too. I like get in some really great Facebook fights with people sometimes um, who are like, they're not even my people. I just like, am like, hi, me again. Need to say the following. <laughs> just, hey, couldn't help my myself. Facebook friend, if you are listening, you know who you are and sorry, not sorry. But um, my Facebook friend like will post things um, that obviously are like super left and that I very much agree with. And this person has friends who are very conservative. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah. So like I, I got into this sort of thing, um, agreeing with some of my other friends and talking about how, you know, framing the, you know, framing Colin Kaepernick and, and everyone kneeling, is uh, in 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 that way, like framing it as an offense to um, American veterans is is just making it part of the white male narrative, and that's the whole point. Is it's not the white yeah, male as narrative. usual. Yeah, as as usual. And this person said, you know, what is quote the white male narrative? And this was my response. <laughs> my response was, hey, blank. Um, a narrative is a framework through which something can be explained, followed, or understood. So the white male narrative in this case is flipping the script to frame white male concerns instead of the protests of men of color. In other words, rather than looking at why these players are taking a knee and seeing it through their eyes, people are turning it around to be, insult, uh, to be an insult to them when actually it has nothing to do with them because white men are not experiencing the kind of pr police brutality and violence that men of color are, some are refusing to acknowledge this as a valid form of protest or even an issue worth protesting at all. None of us, as white people, have felt the same kind of oppression, and so contextualizing forms of protest issues and experiences of people of color through our own eyes will never work. The white narrative does not apply. Does that make sense? And he replies, Absolutely. And very succinct explanation. Honestly, that's the best explanation I've heard. Thank you for answering my question. Truly thought provoking. And oh. then I vomited my brain. I was like, really? Okay. But riddle me this. Like, why is it that ever, like, I feel like the primary people who actually start fights with me, like specifically from the supposed white, like not supposed, but from the white male privilege perspective, suppose it only because I'm hearing it only from Latino men wow, like I can't yeah. explain this to you like I have microaggressions coming from white males all the time who are like blissfully unaware that that's what they're doing right but I have like blatant fights with Latino guys all the time like that's know, coming yeah. from that exact argument and I'm like that's so interesting like it's like there is a very like the, at least the military seems to be a common thread and a lot of other like things that culturally obviously like must cross out you know there's some religious factor in there um you know like male dominated family systems like even though they're matriarchal like they're not at the same time like you know I don't know. like comes from that same impetus to reach for whiteness like if that is at all and like me using that term isn't even like really okay like but like reading having 
does that make sense? Like the idea that that people of color will, will often like reach for some level of whiteness to sort of. Right. Or the same reason why women compete with each other in the workplace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does make sense. It's just like, still, I'm like, what? I just, why am I the recipient of that? It's like, why am I fighting you? I'm white and I'm the one fighting you about yeah, this. Yeah, like so we're weird. on the same we're on the same team. But I actually had somebody else, like a, a female friend of mine, um, who like months and months ago, like when Colin first kneeled last year, um, was like very much of the perspective of like that's so disrespectful, that's so disrespectful, and like through a bunch of different memes, <laughs> oddly enough, the power of social media, I guess. Um, that she had read, like, that have different perspectives on it. Like, this is so interesting to me because, like, I had to go through some discourse, right, with this guy that I'm talking to about this in order to get him to see another perspective. She literally, I wish I could remember what it was off the top of my head right now, which I can't. Um, But she literally read one meme that framed it in such a way that allowed her to see from the other perspective. And she literally tells me this because she she knows that I, like, care about discourse and stuff like that and like we have a lot of conversations about it and we don't agree on everything so we've had a lot of good conversations too and she was like this I literally changed my mind she's like you remember like a year ago essentially I was like really fighting you about this and she's like it completely changed my mind that's so interesting it's so interesting like what what? it takes sometimes but some of it is just straight up willingness I mean let's talk about like all the times we fall into like just claiming that it's just like, you know, people are just like ignorant or whatever. Like she obviously is insightful and thinks a lot about things and is open to seeing from another perspective. And it's kind of cool to see when uh, people admit like, huh, I hadn't thought about it that way. And I'm actually open to changing my mind. Yeah. (laughs) You know, instead of just like people who I see more men doing this, but people that just like scream their own opinion at you and don't listen to the other side at all because they, you know, you're just like going to say what you're going to say. I think it all just has to do with the fact that the white male narrative is losing power and traction every day. The more that we talk about these things, the more that everybody starts to talk about these things, the more that they start to get scared that that they're going to become, that that narrative is going to become obsolete. And I think it's on the way. Um, Fuck yeah. You know, I think it's very like, I think what pisses me off the most about the whole thing is like, why the fuck aren't we talking about Puerto Rico and what's happening there? Like, why aren't we talking about yeah. that? Why aren't we talking about how we have American citizens? They are American citizens. Like, people don't, my, my best friend was like, don't, like she, uh, we have like a, a text thread and she wrote like something like, don't post something about how you're pissed off about, you know, like the, the kneeling for the anthem shit and then not even know that Puerto Rico is a country. Like, I fucking hate you. I can't do it. Um, exactly exactly everyone's talking about nfl and it's like my god yeah and like it people don't even realize that puerto rico is an american territory they're ours it's our job to be getting in there and helping them that's so ridiculous and they were getting on boats and helping the rest of the caribbean when they could yeah so it's just ridiculous fuck it's fucked. Have you, like, what have you seen online, et cetera? Like, what resources are people sharing to help Puerto Rico? I've been seeing that, like, one Facebook thing that everybody's copy and pasting that has, like, the emergency helpline and stuff like that. Have yeah, you seen anything I mean, else? I think, um, like, of course, I, I need to spend some more time with it and figure out, like, who's, you know, who we actually want to be 
sending stuff to. Um, I, I, there's a lot of problems going on right now with the Red Cross in the, the Caribbean. My, I'm Facebook friends with a couple of uh, people who live on Anguilla and uh, they are, they're having a ton of problems with the Red Cross. Like the Red Cross is servicing like only certain neighborhoods. Um, and that's starting to be like a very big issue for people. And, and I know that everybody had been talking about problems with the Red Cross. Um, so like, don't do that. Don't probably don't give money to them for that too. Um, but there are a lot of really great resources. UNICEF is one that I'm reading is actually really great. And then there's, there's like Catholic relief services. Um, I actually just found, this is an article on, off of PBS. So I'll share this. Um, but United for Puerto Rico is like the, the biggest thing it's been, it's being spearheaded by the first lady of Puerto Rico. Um, and so everyone's saying like, that's been a really good one. And it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult to get in supplies. Like it's crazy. I mean, the, I was just reading today that like 45% of people don't have clean drinking water right now. And like, I've also read that they might be out of power. Like some places are going to be out of power for like months and yeah, a long time. Oh, so sad. My dad, um, went to high school there and he hasn't been back since. And oh, wow. I didn't know that. Like the saddest thing ever. He never got to go back. And that's like literally just like not even close to the sadness of like what happens if people don't get the help they need, but that's just a small personal thing. <laughs> that I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh my I mean, God. That's, it's just crazy. And, and that's what we're spending our time. What, what we need to do to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, there's a, a Huffington Post article that like it just dropped a little bit ago. Um, I was reading it right before we started recording, but it's, it says um, there are 11,437 people in shelters. 80% um, of the value of Puerto Rico's agricultural industry has been lost, an estimated loss of $780 million. Only 11 hospitals have power out of 69 hospitals on the country. Um, 11 billion gallons of water is being held back by the Guajataca Dam, and it's cracking. 44% of the people on Puerto Rico are currently without drinking water. Um, 2,400 miles of, of power transmission lines have been wiped out. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's, it is a, a humanitarian crisis. So I'm going to post this PBS thing because that actually, I'm, I need to look into these sources a little bit more, but um, donate, help. We, we should definitely get out there and help with that because that's, it's, it's far worse than what's happening in Houston and, you know, it's far worse. Yeah, we're all probably stretched a little thin right now thinking of like just how many people need our help, but we yeah. can do it. We'll keep posting things as we learn best ways to help. Um, and now that we've sufficiently bummed y'all out, maybe we should introduce right? the interview. <laughs> Let's hear from Megan. This is the Chug and Chat. Okay, okay, I think we're recording. Awesome. So, hello, everybody. Um, I want to introduce Megan Kovacs. She is a board member for Beach, Beach? Wow, Bitch Media. Um, yeah, I was just telling you guys right before we started, I was just telling Megan, like, we can totally cut things if, if we mess up, but obviously, like, I need to cut myself. Um, she's a board member for Bitch Media, which is a really incredible feminist uh, magazine publication and just general badass queen activist. And uh, I just am super excited to have you on. Hello. 
Hi, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for coming on. I, I just wanted to kind of like tell everybody a little bit about how we know each other. Um, we met each other through mutual friends at a barbecue. And, and it may have not, and it was a long time ago too, it was cold. I was the, I don't even remember like when it was, but the time of year was, it was cold. And I uh, was really struck by your knowledge and just by your activism and just the things that you were talking to um, people about at, at that barbecue. And so immediately when we opened up this podcast for interviews and we decided we wanted to kind of branch out a little bit, you came to mind in, immediately to be able to talk to. So I'm super excited that this is like finally coming to fruition. Um, so tell us, you know, a little bit about you. Uh, tell us about Bitch Media and, um, you know, why you think that that publication is important, what kind of work you're doing there. And then if you want to talk more about your activism um, in other ways, I would love to hear it. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so uh, we know each other through, as Morgan said, mutual friends. And um, the friend that we know each other through um, is the person that I moved to Oregon with. Um, oh my so gosh, I didn't know that. How cool. Kelly and I moved to Oregon together. Um, and, you know, we both grew up in Pennsylvania. Well, she grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in Pennsylvania. And we both went to a Big Ten college in Pennsylvania, Penn State. Um, and we were involved in a sorority. And I will say that, you know, I think that that is really the time when I started realizing the disconnect between um, the expectations that our culture and society and oftentimes other women have of each other um, that aren't necessarily in line with what we need um to function in mm -hmm. society and what we need and how like how we should be valued um and kelly was really a person who opened my eyes to that um in a big way and we ended up packing up the back of her volvo and moving to portland together um drove cross country we had never been here um and we didn't know anyone <laughs> so cool <laughs> and, um, we both got jobs as americorps volunteers um and I started at Raphael House of Portland um, when I was 22, and I was tasked with building a primary prevention program um, uh, uh, that prevents domestic and sexual violence. Wow. Um, I had very little experience um, with talking about domestic and sexual violence, especially with teenagers. It was right at a time during the domestic and sexual violence movement, um, which you know started many years before I became a part of it. but. Um, it was right at the time when people started investing much more significantly in education programming. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really lucky to start at the time that I did and to be able to build a program over the course of 10 years. I ended up spending 10 years at Raphael House, um, not as an AmeriCorps. They eventually gave me a real job. <laughs> but, um, but it was around the time that I moved to Portland that I discovered Bitch. Um, and I discovered Bitch as a reader. Um, you know, it was a time in my life where I was looking into new ways of thinking about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had been raised very Irish Catholic. I went to Catholic school for 13 years. Um, I had grown up with very kind of strict ideas about who I was supposed to be in the world mm -hmm. um, and, and what I was supposed to believe, like the values that I was supposed to hold were the ones that my family held. Um, and to resist that, 
was not necessarily welcome. And sure. when I moved to Portland, that was a big way of, you know, kind of pushing back against a lot of that. Um, and discovering bitch opened my mind and my eyes to feminism in a way that nothing else had before. Um, I had studied abroad in college um, and had met a few friends. In fact, one of my best friends in the world still um, while I was there. And she grew up um, in a very different way. She grew up on the West Coast um, and as, as did one of our other housemates and still, again, one of my friends. Um, and they both had a more, a much more developed sense of their feminism. Um, and I was, at that point, wasn't even using the word feminist to describe myself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, that was, I grew up in a world and in a culture where you did not use the word feminist to describe Right, yourself. it was like a bad word. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was like, oh, those women who don't shave their legs and who talk about their vaginas and like, ew, gross, th those, those people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, I eventually became one of those people. Um, right. But, like I'm currently one of those people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, a bitch really broadened my perspective. Um, I love bitch and have loved bitch for a long time, but it was really the guidebook to discovering the experiences of other people um, in a way that I never had before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really broadened my worldview. Um, you know, I was reading about the experiences of women of color. I was reading about the experiences of trans women um, and it gave me a new perspective into what what other people experience in the world that I had not and that I had not um, I had not been privy to right um, so I fell in love with bitch um, and you know d throughout that time also was developing my activism especially and specifically around um, preventing and responding to domestic and sexual violence um, so throughout the 10 years that I was at Raphael House, I, you know, built this primary prevention program, but I also worked on a lot of legislative and public policy um, in Oregon um, around educational policy and, you know, kind of high systems level ways of responding to dating and sexual violence um, within school systems, within social services systems, within healthcare systems. Um, and I realized that that you know, the domestic violence movement was born out of the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't work in domestic and sexual violence without being a feminist. It would make um, absolutely no sense. Yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm sure there are people that do, but, um, you know, that movement was so critical to defining things for women that had never had definitions before. Right. And that was one of the most powerful realizations that I had throughout that experience in my career was and you know in developing this programming and policies um, was that you know women have the power to tell stories that redefine a culture and wow. to share their experiences in a way that help other women feel seen and heard mm -hmm. um, and that help us create a better version of society like when we have a voice when we have the space to have a voice and when we create space for each other to have a voice um, we can change everything 
And, you know, so in my work there and also then, you know, reading Bitch voraciously, um, listening to the podcast, following them on social media. Um, at the time, that was when they were really, um, really focused on the magazine. Now they have more of a, you know, media um, presence um, broadly. Um, they have blogs and podcasts and social media. And it's all um, so good. It is so it is. good. Yeah, they, Bitch is, has some really really incredibly talented writers and thought leaders um, as a part of the organization. Um, so a few years ago, I guess it was like four years ago now, um, Bitch put out a prospectus for board members. Um, they were looking for new people to join the board. And one of my good friends, I had started working on a policy. It's called the Healthy Teen Relationship, Relationships Act, HTRA. Um, and it's a policy in Oregon for all school districts to adopt some protocol around responding to dating and sexual violence. Wow. Um, and it ended up passing, which is awesome. It was a long- Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, and um, unfortunately it doesn't have any funding behind it. So that's a whole other you know, policy issue. But um, I had met this woman, Amanda, one of my close friends, um, through that process, we both ended up testifying on the legislation and, you know, we both had experiences with dating and sexual violence, um, that were really compelling and we told our stories. Um, I think that pretty much every woman I know has some experience with an unhealthy relationship or violence in some way. Yes. Um, and we met and became really good friends and she was working for bitch at the time um and still does actually um and when they put out the board prospectus i was like i love bitch so much i've been a, i'd been a donor for a long time like you know five or ten dollars a month i was working in social services so i didn't have a ton of money but right, yeah um, you know <laughs> i was i was giving what i could and um I applied to be a board member and Julie Falk who is the amazing brilliant incredible executive director at Bitch, um, had a meeting with me and they, I was very lucky that they brought me on and I got to join the board of directors with a number of other really incredible, inspiring women. Um, and now Bitch has grown to be a fully national organization and a fully national board. Um, so there are board members in Boston, New York, Chicago, um, Portland, of course, San Francisco, um, and I think a few other places, if I'm not mistaken. And then we also now have staff members in LA, Ohio, and New York. Wow. So it's really, the organization has really grown and developed in a way that is incredible and have brought in so many more diverse voices and um, experiences of women and people. Um, it's it's really an incredible organization to be a part of, and I'm so lucky that I got to apply and was chosen to be a yeah. board member. Yeah. No kidding. I just got my new one yesterday. I'm super excited to. Dive oh in. yeah, it's really great. The facts issue. Oh, I'm so excited. So <laughs> yeah, I loved. I loved. Um, they have a theme um, every quarter. The the magazine comes out quarterly, um, and they have a theme. And this the past few have just been really timely. Like right after the election, there was the um, the chaos issue. Mm -hmm. um, and that's then, the one that I, that was my first one because you, um, you were like, have you joined bitch yet? You have to. And I was <laughs> like, Oh 
right, maybe I'll just, and then I literally went down this like crazy internet rabbit hole where I was like, I'm just going to read this all day. And then I like was running out of stuff. I was like, okay, like what, what? Yes, I need more. I need more. And then they do that genius thing. When you join the subscription, they say like, would you like last episode or like last issue to come to? And it was like, yes, yes, I would. Man, that was such a good, oh, that was so, it was exactly what I needed in that moment. Yeah. And I think the really beautiful thing about Bitch, too, is that, um, you know, if you become a Beehive member, so you donate five, eight dollars a month, um, ten dollars a month, whatever you can afford, um, you get a subscription to the magazine mm -hmm. and a subscription to, you know, all of the stuff on the website, too, which is cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, talk a little bit more. And that was going to be you were kind of leading right into my next question. How do you think? Um, what's being published, what's being talked about on Bitch has changed since the election or has it or? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, that's a conversation that certainly, I mean, I'm a board member, so I'm not involved in editorial or editorial sure. decisions. I just get to talk about how much I love them. Um, but I think that there wasn't a way there wasn't a way for an organization that, you know, Bitch's tagline is a feminist response to pop culture. Um, there wasn't a way for Bitch to not right. respond to the question, right. you know? I mean, it's a part of every single thing that, I mean, every single thing that has to do with feminism, that has to do with intersectionality, that has to do with race and racial justice, um, that has to do with trans justice, everything is impacted by this administration. So it's so important to have Bitch leading that conversation in so many ways. And I think that they have done such deeply incredible work um, while still maintaining a sense of humor, which I really appreciate. Sure. Too. Um, one of my favorite, um, I think it's every Tuesday, I can't remember now, but um, Dahlia um, is a staff member at Bitch and she does a feminist snack break. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's, on awesome. their, it's on their social media. Um, and it's like 15 minutes at 10 a.m. And she talks about current topics um, and she brings on some guests. So um, one of the past staff members at Bitch, Amy Lamb, who is incredible and um, does some of the podcasts too, um, was on and um, Dahlia's cat uh, <laughs> leapt off the chair and like into the screen and then <laughs> Howard, I think is his name. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's just, it, it's this, I think one of the main reasons that I love Bitch as much as I do, and I, you know, support them and value them so much, and, you know, their perspective in the community, um, is because they can take these really heavy, hard, complicated topics, talk about them in an intellectual way that doesn't dumb them down, and still do so with a sense of humor. Right. I think, and I think the sense of humor piece is so important when we're thinking about like the possibility of reaching across the aisle to like, anytime I, I think about feminist writing, it always brings me back to the statistics of white women who voted for Trump. Yeah. Like it just always brings me back to that moment. And it's like, okay, like it, how, how then do we reach them? Like how, how do we try to reach them and open up dialogue about issues surrounding you know that that like involve all women yeah without 
I don't know. I mean, like that sense of humor piece is something that that is super important. And it makes me think that like a, that a tool like that could be used to possibly cross the aisle if we ever can, you yeah, know. I feel like, you know, whether or not we're reaching people who have such deeply internalized misogyny that they were willing to vote for a uh, person who openly admits to sexually assaulting people. Right. I don't, but um, what I will say is that, you know, I think that feminism has been branded as so deeply unhumorous, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, you know, we have, there's this like cultural stereotype essentially um, of feminists that we're humorless and that we take things too seriously and whatever, um, which, you know, I do take things very seriously. And I also laugh at myself and we laugh about so many things. Um, feminists are some of the funniest people that I know. And some of the people who take themselves as, as unseriously as possible. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the only way that you can kind of make it in like what, like post-apocalyptic America. <laughs> yeah. is, Things are dark. We have to laugh about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, so I mean, like taking things too seriously kind of brings me to, um, you know, the next piece that I want to talk to you about. You had, we're friends on Facebook and, and everything that you share has sort of been like this guiding light for me in lots of ways. Like it's sort of given me access to things that I haven't um, that I wouldn't have necessarily known about. And actually, I really sort of started my journey in reading when you were like, have you read Kimberly Crenshaw? Go do that right now. I was like, all right, I will do that right now. And I literally did it right then. Um, and so uh, something that you posted um, was you have been kind of called, a, quote, too political um, in the way that like you, you fight for the issues that you believe in and in the conversations that surround um, possibly like postings of, articles or like sharing any of your knowledge and those sorts of things. And, and that I, I couldn't really figure out why that struck me and like why that sat with me for so long. And, and in preparation for this interview, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about all of the amazing things that I can ask you and all of the things that, that we can talk about. And I know there's so much that you know that I don't. And one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about is what are your thoughts on being called too political? Because to me, that's not something I ever hear. I never hear white men being called too political, like ever. It's always people of color, women of color, and, and white women who are called too political. I meant not always. I mean, I can't use that broad of a term, but, but it struck me as something like, you know, that that term means I, it's loaded. It's like fully loaded for me. And I just wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, my reaction to that is, fuck you, of course I'm political. Right, <laughs> you know, right. right. totally. Like, of course I'm political, how could I not be? I care about the world, I care right. about other people. And I mean, that was a little bit of why I posted that, because I was just at this point of like, this, it, my entire adult life I've been called too political. You know, I've worked in activism and social justice movement work my entire adult life. Um, and it's, you know, I have spent the better part of my adulthood talking to people about the impact that domestic and sexual violence have mm -hmm. on everyone and the role that we all play in preventing it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I am not a person necessarily that, um, you know, makes for nice, polite dinner party conversation because I'm bringing up domestic and sexual violence. I have literally talked about domestic and sexual violence every day of my life for 10 years. Yeah. And that doesn't make people comfortable. Right. And, and I know that, um, I got better at it over time. Um, but that also made me so much more willing than the average person to make people uncomfortable. Right. And I know that that's what that's about. Um, you know, being a woman and being political, um, you know, women have always been political, of course. Right. Um, throughout the history of time, we've been carrying the emotional labor of politics. Right. But <laughs> um, <laughs> without much recognition or value for that. Or um, any at all. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a lot of, almost all social movements have happened on the backs of women, especially women of color. Um, and that's a way of silencing us. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a way of silencing women that's especially a way of silencing women of color. Um, but by saying you're too political, you're too angry, you're too much, you're too opinionated, um, you're not politically correct enough, you're not, you know, all of these things um, are ways of silencing women and telling them you should get back in your corner and not speak up and not share your experiences and not talk about the things that need to be talked about. Right. Um, so, you know, that's been an experience I've had for a really long time. Um, you know, I've lost friends over it. I've lost relationships over it. Um, I was, I stopped dating uh, after, before the election actually, um, because I was dating men at the time and, um, had two different guys explain politics to me and like you know I've been involved in politics my entire career (laughs) no um no experience in legislative or political advocacy um and who were telling me you know how these systems work I had one person tell me one guy tell me um that LGBTQ rights and abortion access are smoke screens for bad economic policy. Okay. What? And, yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, abortion is an issue that is really important to me. I also volunteer on the network for reproductive options hotline. Um, so I, you know, literally a few times a year am on the hotline for a week funding people's abortions, talking to them, hearing their stories, giving them money. Um, which is, you know, what people who need to have abortions in places where they're not accessible need. Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, this guy who reads the news and pays attention to social media, um, wants to tell me how these policies, um, don't matter. (laughs) Oh my God. That's because you've never, you've never been pregnant and not wanted to be. Yeah, you've never even like, <laughs> you know? known someone who has like, had that experience or anything. Exactly. Um, that's because your life is not impacted by the rights that you don't have. Yeah. 
because you have them, right? You have them all. You don't have to think about that. Like, you don't have to think about the ways that politics impact your life because they don't in the same way that they impact mine or they impact, you know, a trans friend of mine or a person of color. Like, and I, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating to me the way that we, that many people, um, deny other people's experiences. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was a circumstance of that. And, you know, and one of those situations and circumstances as well, that, um, was really about like, it's not okay for me to be talking about those things and supporting those things and challenging those things. Mm -hmm. Like as a woman, I am not supposed to know as much as he knows you know, he literally yeah. mansplained abortion politics to me. Oh my God. That just makes me want to <laughs> fucking vomit. Like, that's just like, the, like, that's like, and good for you for no longer seeing that person. Like, those are people, well, like, yeah. nobody fuck that guy. Like, nobody <laughs> yeah, no. fuck him ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hope that no one does. Um, right? <laughs> for a few reasons. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, not just that. Uh, <laughs> it's also true that, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've run up and I've run into these circumstances a lot. Um, I think, and I think it's because I'm as outspoken as I am and I'm, un I'm relentless. Like I'm unwilling to back down. Um, right. And that makes, that also makes people really uncomfortable, you know, and I keep questioning things. I think that my best um, method for that my men I have a mentor who's incredible. Um, she worked with Cesar Chavez during the labor rights movement. Wow. She was with in the sixties. Like she's been a part of progressive activism her entire life and career. She went to moratoriums on the Vietnam War. She's a lawyer. She wrote rom romance novels for a while. Um, she sounds incredible. She really is. <laughs> um, but um, you know, she has really taught me the power of asking questions. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than just responding, which is something that I'm trying to practice more and more, um, because I know that I can be pretty combative, um, and, you know, and that, that is one of the reasons why, you know, I'm often framed as too political or too much, or, you know, I just need to be different in some way is some, something that I've been told quite a few times, um, that I just need to be nicer. Yeah, well, um, women are framed as like caretakers, and as people, and as as the people who keep the peace, and as people who make people comfortable, the homemaker, etc. And, and and so, you know, yeah. when you present yourself as someone who is making people uncomfortable, either because they can't answer your questions or they don't want to know the answers that other people have for you, um, yeah, I mean that that's the, it's it's I mean yeah, the too political to me just means like shrill, you know, it's the same like you're just being too loud kind of kind of uh diagnosis yeah exactly um exactly and i mean that's the you know that's the scolding that comes with that mm -hmm. right from lots of people in my community and lots of people in my family lots of people in my life um and i think that it's only really been in this past year or so that i've been able to recognize that that's not my responsibility right um, and that's been really powerful. That That is really what that Facebook post was about, um, was about not taking the shame and responsibility for other people's feelings in oh, that way. So important. 
Yeah. And not holding that. Cause I think that it's really easy to internalize that and to say, yeah, maybe I should be different and yeah, maybe I should be less outspoken and yeah, maybe I, you know, should be nicer. Um, because I'm, I still have that internalized misogyny stuff, of mm -hmm. course. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's only been really recently that I've realized no, no, like I have, a pretty clear, I have a very clear understanding of my values and my politics. And when people react and respond in that way to me, then they don't really understand me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. like the perfect way. That's like the perfect way to respond to that. That's amazing. And I think it's also true that, you know, I don't feel like I have a lot of time to have relationships with people or have people in my life who don't, un well, don't understand me, but also don't understand what I'm working toward. Yeah, right. And it like, it is, it is far past time to get to work when it comes to racial justice, when it comes to feminism when it comes to you know all of the intense and major issues that we're seeing percolate um, to the surface um, because of this administration people are more aware than they ever have been thankfully and people are more active than they ever had been have been and more interested in activism than they ever have been um, and that's amazing um, but for the people that want to um, pretend that it's not happening because right. it makes them comfortable I can't do that anymore. No. <laughs> like, I can't be nice about it anymore. No, and you know what? You shouldn't be. Yeah. You work you've worked way too long and way too hard to be. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just I'm just at a point where um, you know, I need you to work alongside me or right. I need you to get out of the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I want that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> work alongside me or get out of the fucking way. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> so good. Okay, so um, I have another question for you. Oh, I had a question for you. Oh, actually. yay. Yeah, give me. Um, so when you were talking about the word shrill, I was wondering, have you read um, Lindy West's book, Shrill? I literally bought it today. Everyone, oh I did. I downloaded it and I'm looking at it. I'm finishing up this like crazy book called Dreamland on the Opiate Crisis. And I don't know why I thought I would like take a break and read that. But like, I was like, you know, I'm gonna like, in the crisis. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna like switch it up and read something really depressing. And oh, it's so good though. If you're at all interested in the opiate crisis, it's insanely good. Yeah, um, but no, so that is on. That's my next list. And actually, it's really funny because I was gonna ask you, like, what are you reading right now? Because I just awesome. always want to know what you're reading and all of that thing. And just like totally <laughs> Ursula, all of your things, all of your brain. <laughs> um, um, I'm really glad you're going to read Shrill. It, I finished it in like three days. It's amazing. I love Lindy West's writing too. And I, I love her. She, um, yeah, she's been writing since Jezebel. She was, started writing at Jezebel. Well, I'm sure she started writing way before that, but I became, I came to know her when she was writing for Jezebel. Um, and then she moved on to publishing a regular column in the Guardian. And now she has a regular column in the New York Times. Yeah. Her New York Times column is so good. Oh good, so good. So I loved good. I loved the one that she wrote about, um, like, it was essentially like a, a letter or a, um, a question to her male friends of like, 
when you're in situations where people are talking shit about women and demonizing women, do you stand up for me? Yes. Oh God, that was, I was just like, oh my Reading God. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was so good. <laughs> um, so what I'm reading right now to respond to your question, um, I think that in the past year or so, I've actually had a really hard time reading. I am a really voracious reader mm -hmm. typically, um, but since the election really, um, I have had a really hard time reading for pleasure because, and, and, you know, reading books in general, because I'm consuming so much else. Yes. I'm listening to the news all the time. I'm reading every article that's out there. Um, and I don't have a lot of time or I don't have a lot of space for reading. So um, I've been, and I'm also the type of reader that is regularly reading like three books at once. Oh, are you? God, I can't do that. I'm so jealous. Yeah. I, I will not I, remember I, what's I, happening. I, yeah, I mean, I just, I go from like one to the other or whatever. So um, for the past few months, I've been working through the People's History of the United States. Wow. Um, George Zinn's book, um, mm -hmm. which I have never read before in, in its entirety. I, I read some excerpts in college, of course. Yeah, that's but, me too. I've only read excerpts. But I've never read it in its entirety. So we've been working through that. Um, and then I've also been loving everything Rebecca Solnit writes. Yes, I'm obsessed with Rebecca Solnit. Yeah. I've been emailing her once a week because I'm like, maybe at some point she'll just like be like, fuck it, and let me interview her. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. maybe. Capacity. You never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, she's so, so, she's such a brilliant voice, um, especially right now in the resistance. But um, her book, um, Hope in the Dark, is mm -hmm. what I'm reading right now. Yeah. And when I was, a few months ago, um, I bought The Mother of All Questions as soon as it came out. Oh my God, yes. Um, and I, so that, the essay that that book is based on was published in Harper's a few years ago. Um, and that was, it's one of my favorite essays of all time. And, and it became, um, became one of my New Year's resolutions. Um, was she asked this question in, I think it's like one of the, you know, the first page or so of the essay. Um, and she asks, you know, something about like, what does it mean to be rabbinical? Um, and how do we, how do we ask more open questions? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how do we ask more open questions instead of closed questions? And that, I mean, that goes back to that, like being too political and being too opinionated is like, that is a practice that I'm really trying to cultivate is asking questions. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when someone is resistant to whatever topic we're talking about or has some, you know, not particularly evolved ways of thinking um, around an issue, what I want to and hope to be able to do, although I'm still not particularly good at it, is, you know, ask why. Mm -hmm. And ask what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And ask questions. Um, like I was involved in this, you know, kind of tete-a-tete -tete with a, um, a person a few months ago um, who was talking about, who was like demonizing protesting and striking. Um, and he was, you know, this is useless and this doesn't, you know, this is not effective. And I was like, well, you have a weekend for a reason. Like, and right. that's what's striking. Um, we have a 40 hour work week. Thank the labor unions. <laughs> yeah. And work condition standards and all of those things, exactly. child labor laws, all of that. Those all exist because of striking. Um, but 
it's also true that if you have never been involved in that stuff, in, in protesting, in striking, in any kind of activism, it's a long game, mm -hmm. right? It's not something that like once you march once, change happens. Right. And it's inconvenient to a lot of people, right? It is inconvenient to strike. It is inconvenient to shut down highways. That is absolutely true. And that is the purpose of it. Um, but, you know, I got to a point where I tried to ask some questions of like, have you ever done this? Right. Like, do you know the history of this? And that didn't go over well. But I can imagine not. Yeah. <laughs> like, the answer is no. The answer to both those right. questions is no. Exactly. And I mean, and that, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, how do you ask questions to get a person to open up about their experiences that doesn't just shut them down? And that's still something that I'm working on. But that, that is all to say that is thanks to Rebecca Solnit that I am trying to make that a practice in my life. Yes. Yay. Yeah really amazing well do you have anything else that you want to add I'm just like I'm like brain mushed over here <laughs> um, no I, I mean I think that I talked about I mentioned abortion right at least once That's oh my, yeah it's become like one of my new goals is to say abortion as much as possible in conversations because people are so uncomfortable hearing that word yes um, so I've just been like yeah abortion um yeah uh that I think that's everything. I don't, oh my gosh, Megan, thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. And, and for like, I'll call myself out. You were my very first like teaching moment on this process. And you totally remember what this moment is. I'm sure I used womanism completely incorrectly, like straight <laughs> up incorrectly. And I mean, we've talked so much on this podcast about how like, this is, we want to catalog our own journeys. And yeah. it is, and the journey is being wrong. The first step to any sort of journey in unpacking your privilege or anything like this is admitting that, that you're wrong, that you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and that was my first like moment where I was like, yes, yes. Like this is exactly what I want. Um, and it really, it just kind of, you know, changed. It made me go back to the books and be like, okay, where did I go wrong? Why did I do that? Why, what, what gave me the impetus to use that word as opposed to intersectional feminism? Where did that come from? It was, anyway, that was just a really great journey. So I just wanted to and, thank you for I that. Mean, that's the thing. Like, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. You know, and you don't know until you do. And mm -hmm. I think that that's the part. And I mean, that speaks to kind of the whole theme of this whole conversation is that we are so uncomfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. that we resist it and we don't just accept that with humility and move forward and that's something that you know you did so amazingly like I mean I think most people don't necessarily take that kind of feedback particularly well <laughs> oh, thank you. Always. No, I, I loved it I like really I really loved it and that was that was the first moment on the podcast that I had really was given the opportunity to to actually like accept um accept that you know accept that like okay great like you want to start this journey here it is whack you know and it was like, great and I've had so many of those moments throughout my own right like we sure. all you, you, you have to fuck up to do better. Mm -hmm. 
Like you have to fuck this up. Like you can never be the perfect feminist or the perfect ally or the perfect accomplice or the perfect activist. Like that is not possible and it doesn't exist. Right. Like we all have our own shit that we've internalized. We all have our own shit that we've learned. And like so much of this process is unlearning what Mm -hmm. we've learned. And getting Uh, out there and even admitting the things that you weren't that you have learned because I think too like where where my own personal resistance has been is like I I at first start to refuse like no I had like that's not ingrained that was an original thought because then it sort of makes me feel like like I you know that that so many of the things I thought I knew are incorrect because I was just raised in a certain way and I consume media like a normal person and I grew up in the 90s and yada 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think so much of it too is, is being willing to accept that so many things that you possibly define yourself, you know, out of are wrong, are just fundamentally incorrect and wrong. And there is like, it's hard to explain to, to people that there is a wrong. There is a wrong. Yeah. It's not like, well, it's just my opinion. Like, no, no. As it, as it turns out, there aren't two sides. Right. Yeah. As it turns out, there are not two sides sometimes. And, and it just so happens that, that like more often than not, you're on the wrong side, you know? And so it's, it, anyway, I just, yeah, I just appreciate yeah. And, and how do you, how do you get right with that? Right. How do you say right. comfort around that? And your own, I mean, it, it does. I mean, I think it does instill in a lot of people and certainly in me and my experience as well is shame for not knowing better. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, and that experience of working through that to get to a place where you're not putting that on other people and taking that experience with humility and getting to a place where you're learning more about yourself and about the world and about other people's experiences and continue to move forward. And being uncomfortable and realizing at the same time that being uncomfortable is really important. Yeah. And that, that our, you know, that your narrative is not always, and most of the time is not the most important narrative. Exactly. I am uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I read everything and I'm like, oh God, like, it's just like, oh, and that's how it's like, it's like when they tell you, like, if medicine tastes bad, that's how you know it's working. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's, that's how you know it's working. Like that's, if it burns, it's working. Exactly. Well, I just appreciate this conversation so much. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and uh, everybody out there, subscribe, donate, do all of the things to Bitch Media. It's bitchmedia.org, right? Um, yes, it is. Awesome. Bitchmedia.org, subscribe to the podcasts, become a Beehive member. Um, that's the best way to support Bitch um, and help sustain Bitch. Um, to continue publishing amazing things is by becoming a Beehive member. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just so excited and happy. And now I get to go like process. Thank you so very much. And you have to let me buy you a beer soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Morgan. Yay. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, hey. So what, that was some interview, wasn't it, team? Um, Cox. That's all I have to say about her. I know. I fucking love her. She's really incredible. I'm, it's such a privilege to know her and to, to be able to chat with her and just learn from her amazing brain. If you've not already subscribed to Bitch Media, you guys get on there. It is, it is, and it's just really awesome. They have a lot of free resources too. If you're not 
um, you know, able to subscribe with a monetary thing, but it would be really cool if you have a lot of cool swag. A wicked (laughs) cool swag. If you, I mean, if you want to become like a, I think I'm a 10 month dollar a month donor. Um, you know, I mean, you can become a $5 a month donor. You can become a $2 a month donor, I think, but anything helps. And they're just a really amazing organization that's trying to get, you know, feminist news really out there reliably. And, and yeah, so next week, join us. Um, we're really, really excited to have Tori Sladen and Michelle Stilwell, the immigration attorneys. So get your ass right back here next week on Feminist Friday. Feminist Feminist Friday. Friday. Feminist. Oh, Mm. Oh, sorry. Share our stuff because if you don't, we won't get a trillion listeners, and that's our goal for the next month. So help Please us. Please subscribe, like, share, write us a review, but only Ooh, if it's a yeah. nice review. Yeah, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> okay, bye. bye.